Welcome to Fundamentally Drained Podcast with your hosts, Father Everett Lees, Father Tom Dahlman, and Justin Dixon. Three Christians exploring Christianity from a perspective other than the fundamental view from which we have become fundamentally drained. We'll begin the conversation, and you take it from there. Today we move into our fifth episode of our What We Believe, and uh, today we'll be talking about sin and redemption. Whoa! (laughs) Doesn't that just get the blood pumping? (laughs) Yes, sir. Uh, I've had a lot of coffee, sorry. Um, So, (laughs) I like Tom's proper response. Yes, sir. Um, so we started off uh, with this, and, and um, as Everett pointed out to Tom and I, this kind of walks through the Bible, I think, is kind of what we talked about and how um, the outline of faith is outlined, uh, walking through uh, the garden and, and so on, and we're just moving down the line. Um, and so it began with uh, human nature, which is humans having freedom of choice and choosing wrong. And then God, uh, I think we went to God the Father, uh, revealing himself through creation and through nature. And then God made a covenant with the people, those people being the Israelites, um, for He, for God being their God and how they will respond to that. And then um, this one, I, I couldn't remember how to explain this, uh, but it said God's will is then, will is shown most clearly through the Ten Commandments. So that was our last episode. And then it said, um, since we did not fully obey them, uh, that we needed a way to redeem the sin. And so the, this episode begins with, what is sin? And, um, you know, you can easily cheat and look at what is sin response in there, but Tom, what is what's your favorite definition to explain when someone asks you uh, without reading? <laughs> what is sin? What do you what do you tell them? I always say I would much rather you ask me what grace is so I can quote God's riches at Christ's expense, you know, from my childhood. But uh, for sin, I just say it's falling short, falling short. OK. Yeah, of of who we our best selves. Mm, okay, all right. Which I think fits really well with the first question in the catechism: How does sin have power over us? Sin has power over us because we lose our liberty when our relationship with God is distorted. I think that the great misunderstanding about sin is that that's me getting liberty. That's me being free to do whatever I want, how I want, follow my own desires. And the Christian uh, message has been since the beginning: sin makes us less ourselves. Right. Following God's will is when we find ourselves, become more ourselves. So it's about liberty or slavery, really. But that's not how uh, the devil or the world or darkness sells it to us. Right. Right. Because that is being held back from something you want to do. Um, and I'm thinking, and I, I actually should explain now I'm in the garden in my mind. Um, and you know, Adam and Eve are there at the tree and the, and the, 
the snake is telling them, you know, go ahead, you know, this is why you want to make this choice to take of the fruit. And so um, that choice is them going against the creator and who knows what's best for us, who, you know, who, than the creator kind of, is that kind of alongside of what you were saying? Yes, exactly. Excellent. Haven't you all all had that conversation with the serpent in your own life? Like, you know, you know the thing you're supposed to do. Um, and, and you're like, man, but you know, and, and you sit there and you convince yourselves or, you know, it's just, it's, it's okay. Like it's, you know, I mean, I do this all the time when I'm going to go, like when I'm out at a restaurant to eat, uh, I was thinking food too, <laughs> you know, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll keep it as non-personal, um, as, as, as possible here, but you know, uh, and I'll sit there and I'll go, you know, I, sh- I, I should get the grilled chicken. And, you know, and then all of a sudden it turns into a chicken fried steak and I don't know how that happened. <laughs> and That's so I, boring. With a, with chicken, a so chicken boring. fried steak with a side of steamed broccoli. Right, right. <laughs> no, two sides of mashed potatoes with white gravy and then white gravy also on the chicken fried steak. And, and, yeah. and, and no, that you get the regular meal. You get the chicken fried steak with the gravy, with the mashed potatoes, with the corn on the cob, with the six bread rolls and the whipped butter mm-hmm. with honey. Then there's this lonely and a real coke. side of broccoli sitting on the table because that was your guilt. Right. There's but your I mean, snake. There's your snakey. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've all we've all had that conversation with the serpent. Yes, that's man. That's a good point. Um, gosh, that's a really good point. Thank you for that. Yep. Um, absolutely. And, and it's funny that my mind went to food as well. It's like, okay, you know, I've, I've had, um, I don't even know, a Twix bar in the middle of the day is like, mm, you know, that hot fudge sundae from Brahms would be <laughs> really good. <laughs> but, and, uh, I mean, it's just an illustration, but I don't think overeating is the best. It is, I mean, it can be because we can definitely lose our liberty if we let that get control of us. Right. But. And that's, and I think that's what the three of us have in mind. So, you know, and thank you for bringing that up. Um, because this isn't, you know, this isn't for shaming purposes. This is something that we deal with, with as humans, um, attempting, you just said it, living our best life, right? Our best life is a healthy, um, human, you know, right. I mean, is that kind of what you're alluding to? Yes. And so um, I think these are everyday choices that we make. And even in this, what you may say, simple as a choice, it can be the wrong choice because we are, you know, made to live healthy lives, live long, you know, so on, be our best selves. I think that kind of describes it well, even though I don't think I am, but you know, you know what I mean? Right. So, so further that further let's, okay. So let's you, you food is, um, Food is cheap. Let's say that's a cheap idea. Um, what's something that's heavy? Um, let's go deeper into those those decisions when the snake is present. Anyone got a good idea? <laughs> seeing seeing something happen where someone is dehumanized and um, the the snake says, "Oh, don't get involved in this. Just walk away. You don't want to be involved in this." Or there's a political conversation. Someone says, "Oh, well, I got to walk away from this because." You know, or something to, along those lines of where you're tempted to make a decision that isn't what. Um, actually, this is really interesting. We're gonna get into profits in a minute. Um, it, to walk away from something that you should maybe intervene in. 
Other thoughts? The second or the first question, I think, has I like how the catechism avoids the pitfalls of time. I can tell they spend a lot of time answering these questions in ways that can be interpreted in so many ways. Right. But um, it says, sin is seeking our own, own will instead of the will of God, thus distorting our relationship with God, with other people, and with all of creation. So it brings it away from the individual to the community. Um, and so your question, say, state your question again. What's a heavier example? Yeah, I was I just think giving... when we... Right, right. Yeah, I reminded my... I, when we... <laughs> When our sin starts to affect the community, you know, in the morning prayer this morning, the parable of the sower is mentioned in the gospel, and it says when the desire for wealth chokes out the seed that's planted. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's the story of our world today, a pursuit of wealth um, in this part of the world makes us have slave labor factories in other parts of the world so and we don't know it because it's so far removed from us but i think that's the heavier example okay ever anything to add um yeah I, i heard a quote one time and i can't remember who who said it but um the quote essentially was we sin because we are sinners we are not sinners because we sin and 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 I think on on one side, I mean, I the the, the loss of liberty um, to choose rightly, I think, is a real aspect of the fall. Um, and and I go out and I look at at, at human. I I mean, I'm not. I don't think I don't think human creation is bad. I don't think we're horrible human beings. I don't think we're scum. You know, any of those things. But I mean, like, you don't have to look too far out there to see that things are not the way that they should be. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, there's, there's part of it, which is as well, Jay-Z, you know, if you just, if you just try harder and, and, and the, the reality is, is that we are enslaved to sin and that sin is a real power. Sin and evil is a real power in the world in my estimation. Hmm. Um, that, that, that causes us to choose differently than what we should. Okay. Can I push back with my evangelical childhood mind or a <laughs> teenager or college or adult? I don't know. Um, I agree with you that we are enslaved to sin. The world is enslaved to sin. But I'm thinking of scripture where Christ came to set us free from the power of sin and death. And since he's come which might be getting ahead of ourselves to a few points down on the catechism, but because he's come, aren't we no longer enslaved to sin? According to Paul or other... So you always eat broccoli? <laughs> Only? <laughs> and kale? That's the big question. Right? I mean, then why is it still, you know, I mean, because you can walk around and and pretend. I mean, and that's yeah. that's that's... Go ahead, E. I, I, and I, I can't remember. I think Fleming Rutledge talks about this in her book, The Crucifixion. And 
you know, it's it's like um, that. Even though even though the war may be over, there's still some holdouts in which there's skirmishes going on, and um, so it, you know, it's sort of like you know, there were stories in World War II in the Pacific where you had um, sort of Japanese holdouts that you know that the war was over and were continuing to fight the battle and. Um, so, so yes, evil has had the, you know, the, the consequence of the consequence of sin, which is death has been defeated in, 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 in Jesus's death and resurrection, but it does not mean that the stretches of, of sin do not still impact us. Like in Romans 6, Paul says we're free from sin, but then in 7 he says, I do the thing that I hate. So he's still sinning, obviously, but um, I like what you said, Everett, that it's, I mean, it's I a worldwide, creation-wide being set free. Sort of our moralistic, um, you know, especially, maybe like if you, especially if you come from like a holiness tradition, like you really, you, you really want it to be well, sin has been defeated, and I can avoid sin if I just work hard enough. And well, and and I think what that ends up doing is 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 it heaps shame mm-hmm. and guilt upon people. When what we really mean is is that the 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 consequence of sin, which is death, has been defeated, and our human need. To prove to to prove our righteousness has been defeated because Jesus has already made us righteous. Um, so where do you go? Where do you go with that? In how do we live? Because what I'm hearing is grace, understanding that grace is present, and so we have this. Um, it, we're we don't want to live this guilt shamed life of okay. Uh, Jesus died for the sins, for our sins, and why do I keep sinning? I must be bad. There's something to that effect, right? Um, which kind of touches back to the enslaved to sin. Um, but so how do we live when we're sitting down to order <laughs> at Chili's, apparently, or wherever they serve chicken fried steak? I have no idea. Um, what, what do we think about that? Our desires are still there. Are they going to go away sometime? Um, what, what's so, that, Tom? Um, I think we should push back from that because... Okay, okay. That's fine. Our, the desire is not sinful. God gave us... I mean, like C.S. Lewis writes, I'm thirsty, therefore there is water. You know, I'm hungry, there is food. I desire sex. And God has given us that as well. So it's not the desire that's a problem. It's right. when it becomes disordered or it takes us over. You know, our strength and our weakness are the same. It's just, do we, are we having a good day or a bad day, you know? <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, I get that. Right. So, I mean, along the lines down that is, um, you know, you being in a place of, of, uh, uh this is hard. Um, using your power and um, for, you know, gosh. I don't know why you think it's hard, Justin. It's just defining the Christian faith in just a minute or two. <laughs> Seems easy. Jeez. Us. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like you, I, I like what you said about pulling it back away from that, but I think there is more to it too. Um, because no, the desire is not there, but desire is God's desire for us. And when we um, make that toxic or move that into a place of, of uh, I don't know what to say here, bad, um, when it becomes bad, when it becomes um, negative, whatever it is, for not only ourselves, but those around us. And um, I mean, so we're, we, we touched on health. I'll stay there for a minute. But health can be something that doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us, our families. It affects people we come in contact with for whatever reasons. Um, and so we want to take care of ourselves. Maybe so what? Others don't have to. That That's treading on some thin ice there. Uh, but those kind of things um, can be and so those desires. I feel like we went down a rabbit hole and we I'm trying to pull us so, out of it. <laughs> no, I think, but, but I think it's wrestling with desires at the core of what we mean by sin because I think Tom is exactly right. It's it's not it's not the desire itself. Right. Yeah, it's, no, right. It's, it's, a, it's a disordered desire that that leads us astray and and mm. the reason it's disordered is is because we don't have our our, our you know, we're we're not God. Right. And so we do not have full, um, you know, we think we have liberty, but we really have become enslaved um, to, to sin. I know who can pull us out of the rabbit hole. N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, yes, can always. But I might cure it, a curate if you're a new listener or not Episcopal <laughs> or Anglican, or even if you are. A curate is a priest who's, like, finished from seminary, ordained in his training, I believe it's Latin for flunky. <laughs> and I have my curate here. He wanted to sit in and listen in. And he happened to, Justin, grow up in the Pentecostal holiness tradition. Mm. And we just brought that up. So can you pull us out of the rabbit hole, Michael? This is going to be your 15 seconds of fame, okay? It's our first in-studio listener. We're trouble then, aren't we? <laughs> Hi, guys. Um, I, I think this, I mean, the, the question of desire you know, we were raised with this notion that, you know, if you didn't feel it, it wasn't real. Uh, mm -hmm. And the, the conversation about longing, uh, what it is that you desire, what it is that you love, it's that Augustinian notion uh, of, of, you know, it's not what you're thinking that's the most important thing, it's what you're wanting. Uh, and that it's our wanter that's the broken part of us that it's like a we're like a ship without a rudder we're still moving under power but we can't steer um Ooh, good one. i think it's lewis who talked about the nature of you know desire that there really isn't anything truly evil and that again is a, a, an augustinian notion that all evil is is really the absence of good and so all sin is good desire gone wrong gone bad um the question then becomes how do we how do we learn to love rightly how do we learn to long uh truly how do we how do how is the arc of our heart bent in a different direction um for myself that's where the liturgy comes in uh and the practices the disciplines of the faith morning prayer which we did this morning of course um it's it's the thing that that starts bending me in the right direction. Um, I lash myself 
to the mast, as it were, and uh, and I'm taken in the right direction uh, and taught better how to love, what to love, what to desire, what to long for, um, deep down inside, um, rather than you know, um, than just uh, being told what to do. Hmm. That's good. I remember when I first got out of seminary and I was real smart because I had read a lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten everything. He was smart before seminary, though. <laughs> so um, I think Michael segued us into redemption. And um, so the, the, it asked, what is redemption? So this uh, portion, part, whatever the outline of faith is, uh, center redemption. And so it says redemption is the act of God which sets us free from the power of evil, sin, and death. So, uh, Michael, I like how you um, unknowingly <laughs> linked uh, redemption to uh, liturgy. So the liturgy, or as well as you said, uh, tying yourself to the mast um, and allowing yourself to be taken into the correct direction, even though our minds are, as I saw, I'm, the guy's mind spinning around, even though it's headed in the right direction. <laughs> so, um, so what is what is redemption then? What what do we because? And here's where an interesting thing I had n- noted down was when I think of redemption, I think of forgiveness. And I think of, you know, uh, confession and asking God for forgiveness. But do you, um, Everett, do you see redemption and forgiveness as the same thing or something different? Um, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to turn to um, St. Fleming Rutledge here. <laughs> um, and 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 she talks about and I, th- and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast in the in the right one prayer. Um, we talk about Jesus's remission of sin. And in right to, we talk about forgiveness of sin. And, and she says, and she says they have drastically different meanings. Forgiveness and remission are two different things. Remission means that they're done away with. Forgiveness means, you know, yeah, we still remember them, but I forgive you. And, and there, um, there's been a lot of, um, work and maybe it's just because of the circles I travel in, but, um, about the renewal of desire for the language of the right, of right one, because it names sin specifically. And, and it, it also names redemption specifically. So it, it holds both truths that, that sin is real but so is grace, and they are not in competition with one another. Grace is the response to sin. Redemption and redemption, remission, forgiveness is the response to our disobedience. It's not continual punishment, hmm. right? As we say, God desires not the death of sinners. So, what is right one? Because a lot of people who listen to this are not Episcopalian. <laughs> Are you sure about that? I'm not sure, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> We're not sure about it. I know, anything. at least a couple. Uh, so right one um, is the, the, the traditional language that, is, that, that began, um, you know, with that. That's, that uh, right one is traditional, is tra- traditional language, thee, thy, thou, but even deeper than sort of those cosmetic things that we often think about. Um, 
it also was um, a product of a time in which people were really wrestling with the notion of of sin and, and grace, which in, were go ahead. Go ahead. I'll interpret. Right one is the King James version of our <laughs> liturgies. It gets to the cosmetic portion. And it doesn't get to there. There is a theological. There are theolog. There they're wrestling with things differently theologically. Yeah, I when think they in wrote the, right two is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, how and and the next question comes along the lines: uh, How did God prepare us for redemption? And this gets into um, God sent prophets to call to call us back to Himself to show us our need for redemption and to announce the coming of the Messiah. I feel like um, I feel like prophets are just baggage hanging at the end of the Old Testament, and they're not really you know um, paid attention to. Uh, and and in a, in a in somewhat, it feels like. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know what the prophets were growing up. I had no idea. But they should be paid attention to. I'm getting to that, Tom. Give me time. Oh, okay. Jeez. Michael, you know, gag him. <laughs> uh, so anyway, we would jump from Genesis, and then we'd, you know, cross the Red Sea, and we'd jump into um, Leviticus, and then everybody gets bored, and then it's like, okay, let's just jump to First and Second Chronicles. We'll get all this under our belt. Oh, there's a David King. Solomon did this. And, oh, Jesus. So um, I think the prophets are extremely important and um, for calling us back to God. And so, Tom, you are so ready to jump in with the prophets. Now you can go, sir. <laughs> well, I would say reading the prophets was really key for me in really engaging with them for the first time in grad school at Oklahoma Christian University. I'm sure they would not like me quoting them in this way. <laughs> but uh, it was really key for me in just rethinking Scripture, and maybe God doesn't want some of the things that I thought God wanted growing up. Mm. What know? do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Well, God challenged my Americana. You know, <laughs> God challenged my radical individualism the prophets challenge your radical individualism more than americano what say that again does god prefer a pour over versus an americano a lot yes a pour over a lot <laughs> yeah i mean sorry bad joke that is wah, wah, wah. Uh, michael god, gag, gag ever <laughs> the prophets challenge you know a lot of the things that we hold dear in in a consumeristic society so Ooh, that was a good line. That was a throwaway line that you should repeat that, please. What was that? The prophets challenge a lot of what we, the things we hold dear in a consumeristic society. Ooh, nice. Um, Everett, give us your thoughts on prophets. Well, um, I think that the way that the prophets often have functioned in the Christian tradition has been that they're just simply pointing us to Jesus. And if you really dig into to the prophets, um, they're really, I mean, they're, they're calling us, they're, they're some of the most honest and brutal portions of Scripture. Um, and, um, and, and the prophetic tradition is really asking us, what does it mean 
to live life in the kingdom. You know, so when we sit there and we pray, thy will be done on earth as is in heaven, the prophets are saying, okay, so what what would that actually look like in, you know, actual, what, what, what would that really look like? And I think we, a lot of times we, because we're, we're distanced from what the prophets are saying, it can kind of get confusing. Um, but it really spends some time digging into it. It's pretty, some pretty amazing stuff there. I agree. I agree with the confusion part, too. And that's why I think they're not as popular, if you will, um, in reading. I mean, you can get into ugh, Isaiah, you know, and you're just full-on poetry and just blah, your head spinning and you have no idea. And I think that's where commentaries and places like the Bible Project, book-by-book um, -book -book videos will really um, help define those things for you, give you a footing, if you will. Um, and so something that... Uh, they were um, meant to be heard in community with a rabbi guiding you. And mm, Good. Nice. Um not the way we like to read the Bible today. We That's wanna... right. I wonder what that means. <laughs> Very good point. Um, and so when I went through the prophets, um, I, and Tom alluded to this, was that, you know, Christianity was this personal, um, you said, individual thing that, that I have, that I need to make amends with God and so on, so I can get into heaven and all of this. And the prophets actually showed me more so along the lines of the communal and the social aspects of, of Christianity and being concerned for what's around us. Um, and uh, so that, that's where I, that really pointed to me uh, down into paying attention more so to the communal factor or um, social, yeah, social issues, social justice, things like that. Um, and, so, yeah. Um, okay. We, the last part of this was, um, and to announce, talking about the, pri the prophets, was and to announce the coming of the Messiah. So um, we're out of time for this episode, but um, let's just, uh, you know what, I'll do this. Let's read what it says. So what is meant by the Messiah? Let's read that, and then on, on our next episode, we'll jump into the next option uh, next part which is god the son so it says what is meant by the messiah the messiah is one sent by god to free us from the power of sin so that with the help of god we may live in harmony with god with ourselves and with our neighbors and with all of creation which goes directly back to the first bullet point of uh what is sin and those things that it outlined that the uh, messiah will assist us in is sin and so um there you go. And then it says, uh, the Messiah or Christ is Jesus of Nazareth, the only son of God. So thank you for everyone listening today. Um, our next episode will be on God, the son, uh, Michael, thank you for jumping in with your wisdom. We appreciate it. And, um, may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at, at fun drain pot. We'd love to hear your comments on our episodes and also suggest future episode topics. Also, if you enjoy what we're doing, go on to iTunes and give us a review, please. Thanks a lot.